Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Same thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, as always, Olivia, it's wonderful to see you. How are you? How's your week been? Um, I've been doing really good. I've been on this new seven on, seven off schedule, and I've really enjoyed like being a stay-at-home pet parent and you know, doing some chores around the house and just kind of like I went and saw my family for a couple of days. So I'm on my work week right now, but it's really kind of nice and a little bit of a breath of fresh air, but nothing too exciting is happening. How's your week? What's new? 
My week's been pretty good. I'm just, you know, working and hanging out with the kid. We're recording this just a couple of days before Father's Day, so I'm excited for that. Hopefully I get a macaroni necklace or some of that nature. But Oh, yeah. Happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. But I'm sure being off the seven days in a row has got to be very nice. Get some time in to see friends and family and sleep in. And I mean, a week off at a time is pretty cool. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Well, I'm so happy that you are enjoying your new schedule and happy that you're here and we get to record this episode. And I got to say, I was looking through your notes and this case looks a little intense. I have to tell you, I'm pretty excited to jump into it and talk about it. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting case. It's not going to be as detailed as some of them, um, I guess, just because of the timing of when it happened and kind of how everything went down. But there's a lot of cool little snippets in here that I think the listeners will really appreciate. Yeah. And sometimes I've found in doing the research too, especially with some of the older cases, there's things that you want to know, or you're like, I want this answer to. And it just happened so long ago that you can't find like that one source that you need. So I definitely feel you. I was kind of like that with the Gaffney Strangler case. Uh, Even the episode we did last week, I was like, man, there's just so much more I want to know about Burton Abbott. So I'm definitely there with you. But again, I've gone through the notes on this and I can't wait to talk about it. So should we just jump in and kind of break it down? Yeah, let's just jump right in. All right. I love it. In the summer of 1974, specifically August 15th, on Lake Geneva lied a beautiful getaway, Abbey Resort in Fontana, Wisconsin. Now, 24-year-old Paula Cooperit was working as a maid at the resort. She would later be found murdered in one of the vacant rooms. Paula had been stabbed in the chest and strangled with a towel. She had bite marks and her body appeared to have been gnawed on. And something else caught the medical examiner's attention. Both of her eyelids had been slit. Now, two months later, in October 1974, in Wawa Soda, Wisconsin, another young hotel maid was attacked while working her shift. This time, it was 24-year-old Sharon Kusilik. Sharon was attacked and left for dead. She was hit extremely hard in her head, causing her to slip into a coma. However, Sharon would end up surviving, and she was able to give police a description of her attacker. Not long after the attacks on Paula and Sharon, police responded to the discovery of another deceased young woman. 26-year-old Nancy Lossman was attacked inside her home in Crystal Lake. She had been strangled with the cords from her blinds. And sadly, her three-year-old daughter, Lisa, would be found drowned to death in the toilet. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That is terrible. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's just, that's so sad. Yeah. Senseless. Now, Nancy's autopsy results would show that her body was also full of bite marks, most of which were to her right breast. The autopsy would also prove evidence of necrophilia. Yeah, whoever this is, is just a monster. You're murdering people and biting them and slitting their eyelids. And then you're having some kind of sexual activity with them after you murder them. And then additionally, like you're killing children. I don't know. It's a it's a hard pill to swallow. You know what I mean? That's why when I was going through your notes, I was like, this one's going to be a heavy hitter. But yeah, it's just it's just heavy all around. Yeah, you're going to find out later on, John, all about this human being and who they are. Well, I'm excited. Let's keep going. Well, at this point, police knew they had a serial killer on the loose and the news would give the serial killer a name. The Mad Biter. Have you heard of the Mad Biter? I have not. And that's why when you sent your notes over, I was immediately like, what's going on with the story? So and it's a pretty good serial killer name. You know, if you're going to get any kind of nickname like the Mad Biter, it. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of crazy. Yeah. So on a hot summer day in Woodstock, Illinois, in 1975, a young woman was attacked at a laundromat and pulled into her attacker's car. Luckily, she was able to fight the man and flee from the car. She went directly to the police and was able to report that the car had a broken tail light. 
With descriptions of the attacker and his car, police were able to trace it back to their suspect, Richard Otto Masick. Richard Otto Masick was born in 1948 in McHenry, Illinois, a small town just 37 miles northwest of Chicago. Now, I couldn't figure out what the population was in 1948, but in 2020, the population was only 27,000. So I can only imagine how small it was when he was born. Yeah, it was probably just like a tiny little town back then. Yeah, I mean, it's still, a t- I mean, 27,000 is nothing. Yeah, that's not a lot at all. The Masick family would later move to Chicago where Richard would grow up. His father was a self-made man. He owned a brewery and the family was comfortably middle class. He was very stern and abusive to Richard and his mother. Richard's criminal activity would begin while he was young. In grade school, he was arrested for stealing underwear from the neighbor's clothesline. There were also reports of an incident where he had chewed out the crotch of the underwear. Now, as a side note, John Wayne Gacy would place his mother's underwear in a paper bag and hide them in his porch and take them out for comfort. Did you know that? You know, I think I did know that from the clown and the candy man because I watched Mm -hmm. that whole John Wayne Gacy documentary. Yeah. And I got way more into John Wayne Gacy and Dean Coral than I think any human would ever want to. But it's just Mm -hmm. weird that there's such a almost like a theme with some of these killers where I don't know if it's just the taboo of I'm not supposed to have these or it's like a dirty little secret kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. They also say they use them for comfort, like it brings them comfort. And I don't know what about that attracts them to. Well, like we used to have a beagle who would literally suck on a blanket. So she would lay on the blanket and like mound it up. And then you would just come in the room and she'd have part of it in her mouth. And like you'd have to be careful because if you went to throw a blanket on in the living room, there might be a giant wet spot with the dog. It was definitely like she was weaned too early from her mother. So that was where that came from. But I don't know what it is in humans. About you serial know? killers. Yeah. It's just such a strange thing, you know, and especially to be like, not only am I stealing them, but I'm also chewing the crotch out of them. I mean, that's, yeah, that's weird. That's dark energy all the way around. That's the dark arts right there. Yeah. Masick was a short, overweight man with whitish blonde hair, and people described him as having a baby face. Dr. Helen Morrison is the author of Serial Killers, Inside the Mind of the World's Most Notorious Murderers. She described Masick as a short but powerfully built man. Now, Richard's father died of a heart attack in 1966 when he was just 18 years old. And shortly after his death, Richard would be arrested for voyeurism or peeping Tom. He would use a small handheld telescope to look through the bedroom windows of multiple women at night. That's a professional peeping Thomas right there. Like you bring in equipment. You're not just like looking in windows, but you've got gear. That's I think of the, you know, like the telescopes that you pull out and you look and yeah, close it back up. Yeah. Like a pirate. And he's like, Land yeah. her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I envisioned. Flash forward to December 5th, 1975, 27 year old Richard Otto Masick was arrested. He was charged with the Wauwatosa rape and held on a $175,000 bond. Detectives had high suspicion that Masick was their guy based off the descriptions from the victims. However, they did not have a confession. Investigators then reached out to Dr. Helen Morrison. At the time, Morrison was an American forensic psychiatrist. A Wisconsin detective named Tom Maselli had recently met Dr. Morrison at a conference about hypnosis. He knew he had his killer but needed help getting a confession. And Morrison would spend over 400 hours talking with Masick. Eventually, Masick would confess to the murders of Sharon and Paula. And at that point, even signed a written confession. 
While under hypnosis, Masick shared details about the brutal attacks on Paula Kuprit and Sharon Kusilik. In April 1976, he was convicted and psychiatrically committed to the Wisconsin Central State Hospital in Weepon, Wisconsin, under provisions of the state sex deviant statutes. And it was in that hospital that Masick was confined to a heavily guarded room. He pled guilty on February 22, 1977, for the murder of Paula Kuprit. Richard Otto Masick was sentenced to life in prison. Additionally, he also received an extra 50 to 70 years for the attempted murder of the 20-year-old woman at the laundromat in Woodstock. Now, later in September 1980, Masick was sentenced to an additional 30 years for the murder and rape of Sharon Kusilik. He was ultimately convicted of a double homicide and would be sentenced to an additional 200 to 400 years for the murders of Nancy and little Lisa Lossman. Masick's attacks were sadistic, violent, and sexual in nature. He would stab and strangle his victims and then proceed to leave bite marks. Detectives believed Richard Masick was also involved in other crimes. In fact, before the murder of Paula Kuperit, Masick was dating a woman whose infant daughter was found extremely burned to death on a heating pad. However, he was never charged with this murder, but the police were highly suspicious of Masick. On September 12, 1972, 14-year-old Sally Kendall went out for a bike ride. Sadly, the teenager never returned home. Her body would be found on a gravel road the following morning around 6 a.m. Next to her body was a 16-inch grocery cart handle. Her jeans were torn and she appeared to have a bite mark to her right thigh. Part of her thumb was missing and to their surprise, Sally's eyelids were slit. Her bike was found just two miles from her house. Autopsy results would show that Sally suffered from severe head trauma. She had 22 lacerations to her head and a notable skull fracture. At this time, another man named Richard Malone was arrested and charged with Sally's murder. Malone apparently owned the grocery cart handle, but claimed he had recently lost it. During Malone's trial, two dentists testified as expert witnesses. One agreed that Malone's bite marks were consistent with those found on Sally, but the other expert disagreed. Ultimately, Richard Malone was sentenced to 90 to 175 years in prison. Yeah, that is crazy because I remember that from the Ted Bundy case that a lot of their evidence and a lot of the testimony was around bite marks and whether or not they could be matched. And I, I'm pretty sure now people are like, it's kind of phony science unless somebody has some like real specific dental imprints. But I guess like when you bite, like you can tear, it's not like you bite and you make a perfect impression, you know? Right. So it didn't surprise me at all that one was like, yes, definitely this guy's bite mark. And the other one was like, nope, definitely not his either. Cause it, it just seems, it all seems kind of junky a little bit, you know? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Now let's flash forward to 1986, John. Let's do it. A prison review board met again and retested the bite marks on Sally's body. At this time, new technology was able to prove that the bite mark, in fact, didn't belong to Richard Malone. They belonged to Richard Otto Masick. Now Richard Malone would petition the governor of Illinois for a claim of unconditional clemency. 
and he was ultimately released in 1982 after serving 20 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Richard Masick would never be convicted of Sally Kendall's death because on March 2, 1987, he was found dead in his prison cell at Dodge Correctional Institution in Weepon, Wisconsin. He was hanging from an air vent with a pair of shoelaces looped around his neck. Masick's death was ruled a suicide. That's it, John. There are so many things about this case that just make me uncomfortable. You know what I mean? From the biting to the taking the lives of children. I mean, one of his victims was 14. One of them was a three-year-old. And then you find out, you know, he may have burned an infant to death with a heating pad. It's just, I want to know. I think this kind of gets into what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, where there's just things you want to know that you can't find or the answer just isn't there. But I want to know what happened to him when he was young that set him on this path. Because I think a lot of people are like, you know, they have strict parents or heaven forbid parents that are abusive and stuff like that. But not all of those people become serial killers. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I don't know. I'm just really curious as to what that defining moment in his life was that set him down this path, because it just seems like he was destined to cause destruction. Yeah, there was in the book that Dr. Morrison wrote. I somehow found this full text link to the book and he's chapter one. And so she's telling the story about how she sits down and interviews with him. And there's a lot of details in there that I think are kind of important, but this is really the only true information I could find. So, you know, you're taking it from someone who's writing the book, who's also a forensic psychiatrist, but she's also interviewing someone while he's under hypnosis. So it's kind of like, do you trust everything that he's saying? I mean, obviously they do because he's saying it and they convicted him with it. But this, if you go to the show notes and read the chapter on him, it's pretty interesting and intriguing. So everybody should look at it and maybe even read some about the other ones that are on here because she does like John Wayne Gacy and some of the other bigger serial killers. It kind of leads me back to the whole dental impression thing, right? And I think we've talked about this with psychics. I know you're, you know, you're a fan of the psychic, right? But how reliable can testimony be when you're under quote hypnosis? You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that there are some people that it works for, some people it's not. But again, it's one of those things that a lot of people could look at and be like, yeah, this is kind of like junk science. And so it's just interesting. I also wonder if that is something that would be allowed today because all of these trials took place in the 70s and 80s when, you know, bite impressions and all that were allowed as well. I kind of wonder if it would be the same results today if he was on trial now. You know, I don't see why it wouldn't be. But then I'm going to go down this rabbit hole of like this whole psychedelic thing and people working through like their PTSD and being on like ketamine infusions or, you know, taking micro doses of mushrooms and like working through their trauma when they're in a different mindset. So I kind of see hypnosis as a similar version of those things where you can take the emotion out of the picture and recall what you were doing and how you were doing it and how the book is written. And she writes it just like the interview is done. There are moments where he gets very aggressive and slams things down like he is going through those actions and the physicality of how he murdered these people while he's under hypnosis. And so there was times where she talks about we had to stop because it was uneasy. So I kind of, I see hypnosis in that sense of like the new age way of working through trauma. Yeah. And I think there are some people that it does work for. I think hypnosis, like you have to be, 
a suggestible person. You know, what it reminds me of, there's like the many minds or the many faces of Billy Milligan or something like that. It was a Netflix documentary. It was about this guy who committed all these terrible crimes. And he basically was like, I have like 27 different personalities uh, inside me. So if you've seen the movie Split, that character is supposed to be based on Billy Milligan. But there's times when you're watching the video where it's like, yes, you could really be suffering and there may be 27 quote different personalities living inside of you, or you could be faking, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And with psychedelics, I'm not the guy who's going to knock psychedelics, but if you take psychedelics, you can't really fake falling into a K hole if you're doing ketamine treatment, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so like I said, I I'm sure that there is some people that it does work for. It's just, I don't know how reliable it is across. It's like hypnosis for quitting smoking. I know a woman who went, she got hypnotized. She got into her car and was like, the smell of the car made me sick. I like never wanted to pick up a cigarette again. And then I know somebody else who was like, I spent $200 and I walked out and lit up a cigarette. Like, you know what I mean? All right. Well, we're going to let you be the true deciding factor on if hypnosis works for smoking cessation. Listen, before I spend $200 for a hypnotist, we're going to need some more people in the I'll Patreon. Just practice. <laughs> it was just you. <laughs> Olivia's just like, follow my watch with Let your eyes. Let me get my pocket watch. I'm just showing John my pocket watch. Yeah, but it's just one of those things. And I think I find this really interesting when I research my cases as well. But it's like, how would that play out today? How easy would it have been to catch this killer from 1970 today, right? Would that trial look the same today? And that's really in- intriguing right. to me, so. Overall, I really enjoyed this case. I was sad that there wasn't as many details as I was hoping for as I was going through it. But once I got into it, I was like, oh, this is kind of crazy. But that's what I got. That's this week's case. So you want to jump into the deadbolt test? Kind of where are you you putting this one? What are you thinking? Yeah, let's jump into it. So for me, I would put this at a seven. I know a lot of the times when we do the deadbolt test, we try to look at it as would I be this killer's prime victim? I don't think that's going to be me. I don't think I have to worry about, you know, someone trying to kidnap me or rape me or anything like that. But again, very similar to what we talked about in the disappearance of Stephanie Bryan and Burton Abbott from last week. I have a wife, I have a daughter, and especially the fact that there's people out there that are willing to do these things to kids. I would say not even willing, but enjoy doing these things to kids is absolutely terrifying. So is it going to happen to me? No. Am I going to check my locks? Definitely, because I live with ladies in my house. So it's going to be a seven all day. What about you? Where are you falling? I'm going to put it at an eight because I am his demographic. And there are people who are just like Masick that walk this earth today. And I am going to go double and triple check my locks tonight because he was obviously after young women. And there's something that is a little unsettling of how he would like gnaw on them and like bite them. That grosses me out. So I'm putting this at an eight. Yeah. And I totally agree. When I was thinking about my seven, that was part of it, which is like, if I was the family member of one of these victims and a police officer came to me and was like, we found your loved one. This is what happened. And they had tons of bite marks in them. You know, I would just be so disgusted and so confused. And again, I just have this, like, I want to know what it was as a child, like what Mm -hmm. happened that Mm -hmm. was like, this is my fixation. You know what I mean? I turned him into basically Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, but I'm with you. I mean, this is a heavy hitter. This was enjoyable to go through, but the details were still hard to like touch on. You know what I mean? Like emotionally hard. So these are sometimes kind of my favorite cases because it's very interesting, but it's also like, oh, that's really rough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And I think had it been 20 years later, I would probably had like tenfold the amount of details. But like I literally had to read like an old news clipping article from the paper that was like scanned in. Oh, yeah. Um, to get some of this information. So, yeah, that's what I had to do with the Burton Abbott case. And I, I enjoyed it, though, because I'm like, oh, this is yeah. like what people were holding in their hand. Yeah, when this- like reading about it. In yeah. 1974, that being the front page, this murder in the northwest uh, corner of Chicago, like suburbs killing these women. Yeah, I just picture myself, you know, on a Monday morning, have my cup of coffee and I'm like, oh, what's going on in the world today? So, you know, you're pulling open, you've got that paper in your hand. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, and I know a really good friend of mine, when his grandmother passed away, he found in her basement newspapers from the day that Kennedy was assassinated. And wow. it's not like that newspaper was anywhere near it, but just holding it, you're like, oh, I can just imagine how shocked and like how weird the country was that you just got it in your hand. You know what I mean? It's just, uh-huh. yeah, it's crazy. Well, that is where Olivia and I are coming in on the deadbolt test for this week's episode. I'm coming in at seven. Olivia is coming through with a strong eight, but we want to know. Where does the mad biter Richard Masick fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to get to know you, spend some time with you, interact with you. We are in there daily. Come hang out with us, spend some time. We'd love to get to know you. Olivia, as we were going through the story, I was like, man, these detectives really took a bite out of crime. I need a palate cleanser. Do you have a review for us to read this week? I do. And this week's five-star review comes from Rebeeb1020. They said, love you both. Hi, y'all. I'm very picky about podcasts, but y'all do such an amazing job at diving straight into details. You give me exactly the information I'm looking for when researching cases myself. And you have such great flow together. It makes it easy to listen. Thank you for giving me something to listen to at work that passes time quickly and makes my day more interesting. I appreciate you guys and cannot wait for the next episode. P.S. Love true crime for the short on time. I usually listen to it when I cook. So thank you, Rebeeb1020. This one actually came from our website. So you might have to reach out to us um, via email or on the website to let us know who you are. Yes. Thank you, Rebeeb1020, for taking time out of your busy day and leaving us that review. I got to tell you, these are my favorite because it it's so nice to hear that we make somebody's workday a little bit easier or that somebody likes to put it on when they're cooking, something like that. So, so happy that you're liking the short on time episodes and, you know, glad that we can be a part of your day and get to hang out with you on your nine to five adventure. And we would love to send you some goodies. We've got stickers, we got coasters, we got all sorts of stuff. So, Reby, please reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Hit us up on Twitter at Check the Locks. If you're in our Facebook group, you can send one of us a direct message as well. We would love to get in contact with you. And if you're not a social person, that's totally fine. Head over to checklockspod.com, click the email button, send us an email. We will get those goodies out to you as soon as possible. And Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the show, what is the best way to do that? Well, they need to go to the Apple Podcast app, go to our show's homepage, go all the way down to the bottom where you see all five stars, click all five stars and leave us a little review. Or you can go to the website and leave us a review, or you can leave me a voicemail because I haven't had one of those in a long time. Yes, we would love a voicemail. And I also put a video out on the Facebook group page. So if you're having issues, that was some of the feedback that we got where it's like, I can't find exactly where to leave a voicemail. So I do walk through just to show you how to do it. So if you're not in our Facebook group, come on, sign up, come hang out with us. You can watch the video to give you those step-by-step instructions. But again, we would love to hear your voice. 
And as always, if you are interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks and get signed up today. We've got all sorts of goodies up there, exclusive stickers, t-shirts, coffee mugs, all stuff that you can only get for being a patron. Plus, you get the episodes early and ad-free. So if you like the show, hate ads, that's the way to do it. Every little bit definitely helps us out, helps us keep the lights on, invest in new equipment. Just make sure that we're keeping the show running and getting as good as possible. So if you would like to financially support us, again, that is patreon.com forward slash check the locks. And if you cannot financially support us, we definitely understand just listening to the show and hanging out with us every week means just as much, if not more. So if that is you, you're listening, you're sharing what we do with your friends and family, just know, as always, from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate it more than we could tell you. That is how we are going to grow our audience. We're going to get in front of more listeners and just really extend out our family. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It means the world to us. That is all that we have for this week's case. But please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with another truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 